lot of people who say, yeah, I want to, I want to come and talk with you, but first I got to get my game together. And they think, well, once I get my physical game in good shape, then I can work on my mental game. It is so the other way around. And welcome back to another part train. I'm your host, Evan Singer. Thank you guys so much for hopping aboard another part train. In case you're new, our mission on the part train is to help frustrated golfers enjoy the ride again on and off the course. And we believe that if you can learn to smile through bad golf, you can learn to smile through anything. We feature interviews from PGA Tour pros, best-selling authors, CEOs, mental coaches, and many more to make the hardest game in the world feel easy and give you guys the tools to enjoy the ride. Before we get to this episode, quick word from our friends over at Roback. There's been hundreds, hundreds of orders uh, for Roback, and there has not been one, not one person that has been disappointed. Actually, every person has been overwhelmed and overjoyed. I think expectations have been exceeded when it comes to the Roback gear. They just released new summer polos. Um, so go to the show notes, guys, click that link, and no need to enter a promo code, and you will get 15% off your first order. Uh, that's really the best deal that you can get right now. Uh, they they never really discount. Um, we have a special deal with them because we've worked together for so long. So click the link in our show notes, get yourself 15% off. And uh, you can also go to our social accounts at the Partrain. Uh, and there's always a link in our bio there for all the rowback gear. So I would say in over four and a half years of doing this podcast, I was the most nervous and the most excited for this interview. Um, Dr. Joe Parent, the author of Zen Golf, he's written um, How to Make Every Putt, Zen Putting, A Walk in the Wood, which is a kid's book for mindfulness, uh, the best diet book ever, Zen of Losing Weight. I mean, he's written so many amazing books, but Zen Golf is kind of the original book that most people think of when it comes to the mental game. I read this book a long time ago when I was in high school, and this book kind of put me on my path to starting this podcast years, you know, 10 to 15 years later. So getting Joe on this show and talking through different concepts and getting his takes on things was one of the biggest thrills of my life. And um, Joe didn't disappoint. Uh, we went an hour and we easily could have gone five hours. So we'll definitely bring Joe back. And so make sure you listen to the end, guys. Uh, I really hope that this episode, among others that we've done, but especially this one, will help you enjoy the ride on and off the course and maybe look at golf a little bit differently, right? We're not asking for you to transform the way you think overnight. It's a process. But if you can just test it, treat it as an experiment and and go one round with a new mindset based on something you learned from here or buy his book, uh, Zen Golf, and go to drjoeparent.com to get it. Uh, I think you're going to be pretty amazed uh, about, from the results. So thanks as always for hopping aboard, guys. It means a lot. Give us a review if you haven't already and you, and you like the show. It, it means a lot and it does a lot for us. And follow us on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, all of them at The Par Train. Um, shoot us a note. Let us know how you're doing. We love getting your messages. And we got some fun stuff planned for you. So keep your eyes peeled. Hope you guys stay well. Uh, hit them straight. And if you don't, still enjoy the ride. Take care. I love your mission to make people less frustrated. Appreciate that. So, Thanks. Doc, I, um, I wanted to start with... Uh, People don't usually start so deep, but we're just going to um, throw on the scuba gear, as I've heard you say before, and we're just <laughs> going to go deep at the start. Um, I, uh, you know, for context, I coach companies on managing stress, and we help people with the mental game through this podcast. And I find it so interesting that many of life's, quote, secrets, right, are pretty well known. They're talked about frequently. And many times those are coined as cliches, right? Um, sure. You hear every top performer in a post-round interview or after a Super Bowl talk about staying in the present, one shot at a time, focused on my process, yet no one hears it. And I just wanted to start by asking you, why do you think so many people run away 
from the word Zen or mindfulness as soon as they hear it. And also don't hear the lessons that are so out in the open and accessible to them. Well, uh, I think that's actually two parts of things. One is uh, the, the part of uh, focus on the process, stay in the present, clear your mind, all of those things. And <clears throat> in the introduction to Zen golf, I actually talk about that and say, you'll hear sports psychologists say, clear your mind, stay in the present, one shot at a time, focus on you know, um, what you're doing. Uh, but they don't say how. I, I had a student who was uh, going to another prominent sports psychologist and they worked through some things and he said, okay, I get it. I'm too hard on myself. So what should I do? And the guy leaned in and said, don't be. Well, you know, <laughs> it's a big leap from I'm really hard on myself to don't be. And so what I did in Zen Golf and I explained this in the introduction is, I give you a path from where you are to where you want to be. You have to have steps to get there. And, and that's really the thing. People, they, they, they say the cliches and they say, okay, I'm gonna do that, but they don't know how, and they don't know what they have to change in order to go from where they are to what they wanna become. And that, that's really the, the key to what I teach. And that is what I learned um, both in Western psychology, but even more so in my training in uh, Buddhist mindfulness and awareness practice. Now that gets to the, the next one. Why do they run away when they hear Zen? Not so much anymore. Mm. Uh, that used to be the case before. Uh, but now you hear, you know, you hear Nick Faldo, um, who who I've talked to a number of times and he's got my uh, audio book and, and he says, oh, there was a lot of Zen in that shot, you know? So it, and Phil Jackson, one of the greatest basketball coaches of all time was called the Zen master of, you know, of basketball. So, so it's, it has moved into the mainstream very much in the way mindfulness has also moved into the, into the mainstream. And, and I'll tell you my experience, is that um, if I were to just uh, give a uh, um, uh, an, uh, an old time golfer, you know, this book, and he would say, "I don't want to read about Buddhism, you know, and all that stuff," and and I'd say, "But this will help you with your golf game." He said, "I'll read anything that will help me with my golf game." So uh, so Zen golf was a way of communicating some of these meaningful life lessons through golf, which is where, you know, and, and so a lot more people got that in their hands than would have if I'd just written the life lessons as, you know, Zen life lessons or, some, or something like that. Sure. And, and, the, uh, and really my mission is both. Uh, I wanna make people better golfers, but I wanna make them happier people as well. And so we can use our minds to play better golf, but we can also learn from how we play golf to use our minds better in our lives. Yeah, and it's funny, Doc, I mean, you talked about the how, right, and the steps to get there. And just giving people a little nugget, I just wanted to thank you personally, because, you know, when I was in high school and I, find, I, I, I played, was a baseball player, I stopped playing baseball, First place I went after I had surgery on my arm, long story short, I stopped playing baseball. First place I went was a driving range and I never played baseball again. I started playing golf the way a lot of people start playing golf, which is embarrassment, anxiety, um, trying not to make things happen, right? I'd, I'd be afraid to lose so many balls in front of my friends. I end up losing 12 anyways, right? And I remember reading your book. And I had learned about this type of stuff in my life at that point. I was lucky at an early age. And uh, to me, the thing that really put me on my path in your book to now today, which we're talking about it every week, which is, which is funny how things work, is the, the non-judgmental awareness counting, right? And I've actually, I coach a golfer now mentally, and I've started him on that same thing because it helped me so much is you have to have a level of awareness before you're able to change what you're doing you have to be aware of it first what you're talking about is what i call the my ninja system yep. 
um, and, and NINJA stands for necessary intention and non-judgmental awareness. Yep. Now, necessary intention, that part, um, you have to want to make the change. You have to be willing to put in the work and the discipline and the time to make the change. There's an old psychologist joke. How many psychologists does it take to change a light bulb? Only one, but the light bulb has to want to change. <laughs> so so there's truth in that, that. That's why, you know, you have to want to change. So that's the NI, necessary intention. The NJA of ninja is non-judgmental awareness. If you beat yourself up for making a mistake for something that you do that you want to stop doing, but you beat yourself up when you do it, you actually are paying more attention to yourself. And we are, as human beings, like getting attention, even if it's negative attention. We would rather get negative attention than no attention. Mm -hmm. So that's why, that's why kids who aren't getting paid attention to at home act out, because they'd rather get negative attention than no attention. So if you pay attention to it, you feed it, you fuel it. And then you reinforce the habit instead of diminishing the habit. But if you go, oh, there, oh, there I go again. That was three. And you put your little mark, tick marks down on the on the paper and let it go. Eventually it will diminish and subside. And it really, it really works to change habits, both physical, speech, and thought habits. Doc, again, welcome to the show. I love that you talk about. You know, you try you try to learn about your players in the sense of what do they want to become, right? So you've worked with Hall of Fame tour players, LPGA players. You've also worked with average players that enjoy, you know, just playing with their friends. And beginners. And beginners, right? So you've seen the whole spectrum. So when you ask that question, maybe in that first session together, what do you want to become? Is there a theme in the answer? Or talk a little you know, about that. You know, usually, well, if we're talking with professionals, they want to become the best golfer in the world. Uh, if we're working on, let's say they come to me and they want to work on the, the short game and they're um, professional golfers or competitive golfers, uh, I, I say, well, you know, you have a little bit of work to do. Uh, in, in my day, you know, the gray hair, it was Seve Ballesteros. And then it was Phil Mickelson, and now it's Justin Thomas or Jordan Spieth. When you're as good as them, then you can just do maintenance on your short game. Mm -hmm. Until then, you should try to increase your repertoire and improve your game. And, and so, so we, you need to find out what the person wants. Now, if somebody's, you know, I had somebody come to me and say, I want to play. This was a, a, uh, a very high-powered executive from another country. And he said, I, I I want to get as good as Tiger Woods. What's it going to take? And I said, well, pretty much all of your waking hours from now on. And he said, well, then I, I won't be able to run my company. I said, agreed. I couldn't agree with you more. <laughs> well, I, I don't think I can do that. I said, well, then let's change our, let's, let's change our expectations and, and our goals. So, so I help people get more realistic about what they can accomplish if you know i i this is a story in uh it's either in zen golf or zen putting and a person said you know i uh i only play once or twice a month and i never have time to practice do you have any suggestions on how i could get better and everybody in the audience laughed and i said no i do cultivate your sense of humor <laughs> have a better sense of humor about the fact that you just, you don't play or practice that much. I, I have a player who, you know, I was out with a, a, a student and he got mad because he mishit a shot. And I said, well, I can understand why you would get mad because you do do this uh, eight to 10 hours a day, six days a week, right? And this is what you, how you earn your living. He said, oh yeah, good point. Never mind. <laughs> right. So, I can't tell you how many times I tell people, if you want to play better, lower your standards. Right. Now, I want to get into what that means, because people have a reaction to that. Right. Okay? Lower your standards. So one of the things that I would say is, uh, I would ask, okay, so how far do you hit your drive? And I, this, this was a big young guy, and he said, oh, 290, 300. I said, great. So um, 
290, 300, right down the middle. That's a really good drive. He said, that's right. And I said, what would, what's your, what's an okay drive? And he said, well, <clears throat> 280 and maybe 10 yards either side of the middle. I went, you are an unhappy golfer, aren't you? <laughs> you know? and, and, and I said, um, ask me the same question. And I'll say, well, a good drive for me is 240. Anything over 200 that I can get my club on the ball cleanly and there's nothing directly in my way, that's to the, to the green, that's a good shot. And he said, oh, I said, yeah. So lower your standards for what a good shot is. Anything that is usable, that's the, that's not a real big miss hit. Hey, that's in my dispersion pattern. That's in my area. And this is the key in golf. You aim at a spot, but you play to an area. If you, right. I, I was working with Christy Kerr that transformed her game because part of her genius is comes from her perfectionism. But then she would get frustrated if she didn't hit exactly where she was aimed. But once we once we open that up, it it really frees you up to make a better, more committed swing. It, yeah. The example I give is if you put a shot glass in the middle of a big dining room table, and I stand you twenty feet away and give you a quarter and say, "Toss this in. You have to get it in the shot glass, or you made a bad throw." That's a lot of pressure, mm-hmm. and you see people get real guidey. You know, and then I say, now what I want you to do is take the quarter and aim at the shot glass, but anywhere it lands on the table, it's a good throw. Complete freedom, complete relaxation. So you want to give yourself room to play and understand that, you know, even Iron Byron, the the robot that they use to test, you know, that's how good Byron Nelson swing was. They named a robot after (laughs) him. And that's the, you know, they, they screw in a five iron and a dozen brand new balls. They don't all land in the same pitch mark. Yeah. Even the robot has a dispersion pattern. Mm. They'll even show you ball manufacturers will say, look, the, the robot had this dispersion pattern with other people's golf balls and smaller with, with ours. Okay. If the robot has a dispersion pattern, don't you? Yeah. So, so and, and, you know, it's like a championship dart player. They hit the bullseye and then there's a tight grouping. The average can hit the bullseye too, but it's all over, you know, it's the whole board. And a beginner could hit the bullseye, but then some are on the wall and the floor and, you know, it's all over. The- so, so depending on your level of technical expertise and experience, that's how big your dispersion pattern is. Understand how big your dispersion pattern is. Overlay that on the golf course. Right. And don't choose a club that's going to put too much of your dispersion pattern in trouble. We have a we have a hole here in uh, in Ojai. Uh, the 16th hole is a par three. From the back from the back tees, it's 200 yards. It's 210 to the if the pins way. It's a very long front to back green, but it's narrow and there's out of bounds on one side, a cliff on the other side, and it pinches back towards the, the back. <laughs> When the pin's in the back and I'm on the back tee, the club that I need, one third is going to be out of bounds and one third is going to be over the cliff. So I lay up. I hit an eight iron to a landing area, pitch on with a sand wedge or lob wedge, and take five or six out of play. So give yourself room to play and understand your dispersion pattern. You'll have a lot better time. I think Aaron Byron once said, my golf swing, it's like eating to me. I don't think about it, right? And that's really a great lesson, right? Because <laughs> your swing's your swing. I mean, he's one of the greatest ever, but you don't think about when you're with the spoon, right? So there's a lesson there. But Yeah, and I, I try to explain that to people and say, okay, so um, there's great shots. I have a post-shot routine that I teach. For great shots, you want to reinforce them. Say, that's how I always hit it when I trust my routine or trust my swing or I, I like to say, trust my swing keys. Um, when I breathe and get grounded, any of the process things you want to reinforce. Now, if you hit one that's usable, but not quite what you had in mind, instead of pick, you know, golfers are amazing critics. We can pick out <laughs> everything wrong with a shot. I, I had a friend who, who hit a, a, a four iron off the tee on a par three. And um, it goes, starts a little left. He goes, oh, I pulled it. And then it starts to fade back and it ends up going in the hole. And he moaned about it. 
on a whole than one. So, you know, we're ready to see the negative. Uh, instead, what I want you to do is say, oh, that was cl close. Pick out some positive things like it was really solid, but it just went off to the right. If I get through, just, and, and, then, and then you make, you know what you need to do. Just if I just get through it a little bit more. And if you don't know, make the swing you wish you'd made. Make a couple of them. When you get the one you wish you'd made, feel the difference and you'll know. Now, if you hit a real stinker, that's the third category. As Matt said, you don't forget how to swing a club from one shot to the next. That will always be some kind of mental interference. It could have been somebody moved while, or made a sound while you were in your backswing. That's still mental interference. You, you know, I, I was with David Toms um, in, a, in a pro-am and his amateur partner hooked one into the houses on the left off at Sherwood Country Club in the Tiger World Challenge when yeah. it was out there. And well, there was a lake to the right of the fairway. And David shook his head and I said, no, nah, it was a great shot. Look how, look how well he avoided the lake. He missed it by about 200 yards. Great job of not hitting it in the lake. And he cracked up. He, he was still telling that story. I just saw him 10 years later, he was still telling that story. So, so it's mental. And in that case, again, you, you don't want to leave that spot with a bad swing. Erase it and replace it. Make a better swing. But understand, you, you don't have to fix your swing. You have to fix your process and do a better job in your pre-shot so that you don't go in there um, and and hit in any way. You know what? Uh, you, you read the, that yeah. of the anyways. Yeah. You're not comfortable over a shot. You don't feel like something's wrong. You know something's wrong. And you say, eh, I'll go ahead and hit it anyway. Yeah, that, that doesn't work well. Well, this kind of gets into my next question. You often, Doctor, you often talk about we need to focus on what we're doing right more than what we're doing wrong. Okay. So for the 15 to 20 handicappers that are listening to this, who have maybe recognized now that, okay, I'm a better driver of the golf ball than, you know, I'm a better driver than I'm a putter. Okay. So they can kind of recognize some of the, their physical attributes in their game. But mm -hmm. dive more into this though, because I think you were getting into it about the feedback stage after a shot, like you know, how to find that positivity. To, you know, to really just set yourself up for that next shot. Well, you know, um, for for <clears throat> average or higher handicap amateurs, I remember something that Harvey Panic read, you know, uh, wrote in in one of his books, and he said, "You hit a bad shot, forget about it." <laughs> you know, I, I call that the the whatever, and I I, I work with my uh, competitive juniors uh, that. More than anybody, I think this is what happens uh, to them. When they're with their buddies and they hit one sideways, whatever, right? But then the, there's a different W that happens when they're in a tournament. They hit one sideways and they go, what's wrong? Mm. Right. Whatever, what's wrong? Right. Whole, different, whole different attitude. Okay, so first, whatever. If you hit two in the same pattern, then check your static fundamentals. Maybe you hit two great shot, but you, shots, but you were aimed wrong. You know, you were aimed too far to the right. That happens a lot, by the way, especially for amateurs. They, they see the target and subconsciously they aim their body at the target. Now that is fine. You know, the line across your shoulders, hips, feet, knees, all, the, all those lines. If you're doing archery, that's fine because the arrow is right across your shoulders. But our arrow is out there a foot or two away from us. <laughs> and so our body needs to be pointing parallel, left of the target. But instinctively, you look at your target, what does your body want to do? Aim at it. What does that set you up to do? The, the, the club head, the club, you know, the swing path is going to be aimed out to the right. What do you have to do? Come over the top. Well, you can teach somebody to swing from the inside out all day long. They get on the course, they set up the wrong way, hit one of those, back to coming over the top, pull it, mm -hmm. back, to the, pull it back to the target. Right. So the second thing is check your static fundamentals. I don't think pros work on anything more than they work on alignment. Yep. So check your static fundamentals. Otherwise, if there's, if you have, if you hit a, if you hit it, you know, 
a third time or maybe said three days in a row or something like that, then go, go see your instructor and find out what you're doing. But this is something I wanted to share with you on that regard, Matt. I think that you'll find this, this interesting. Um, one time I was, I was out on the PGA Tour. I was waiting for one of my uh, players. And I, but I knew one of the other guys who, who was on the range. And I'm watching him. And he's hitting shots. And they're kind of going all over the place. And I said, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm working on my swing. I said, how are you working on your swing? He said, well, see that, that flag? I'm, I'm hitting six irons at that flag. I said, no, you're not working on your swing. You're working on trying to guide the ball and make it go towards the flag. Mm. He's, and that's why it's going all sorts of different places. He said, well, how should I work on my swing? I said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to aim at that flag with your six iron and then rip it without any concern for where it's going to end up and just free it up, fully committed swing. He had been guiding it so much. And this is, uh, Evan, what you mentioned on the ninja system, you don't necessarily just make a mark, you can rate. So to get him to free his swing up, I said, rate how free your swing is on a one to five scale. Five, no interference. Three, some holding back. One, totally guidey. So he couldn't even do a five right away. And this, mm -hmm. is, a, this is a PGA Tour player. He said, oh, three, oh, three. Well, that was four. After <laughs> four or five, he started hitting the fives. Well, when he did that, every single shot rocketed right at the flag and then snapped off in a hook about two-thirds of the way there. The same. And he said, oh, I know what causes that. And then he got, had something to work on. Mm -hmm. But if he didn't free it up, he he was making compensations on top of compensations on top of compensations. The number one lesson that that club pros teach their players is to release, is to finish their swing and release the club. Right? Roll, let it roll over. Let it release. Cut it loose. Yeah. Why do you think they have to teach that? Because the golfers don't know how to do that. No. Every golfer can do that. You know why? Because as a human being, if we take something back, our left uh, as a right-handed human being, our left arm goes on top. And if we roll, roll it through, the right arm goes on top. Otherwise, we would fall down if, if we made a full swing that way. That's why we, the swing gets cut off. It's, it's like a baseball player uh, guiding one out, you know, pushing one out to right field. They don't want to finish their swing. They have to hold it off, right? Or a golfer who doesn't want it to hook is going to hold it up. Well, what happens is they go to the pro and the pro says, let me see your swing. They're not showing him their, their swing. They're trying to show him a good shot, him or her. They're trying to show the pro a good shot. And so they, they guide it towards the hole. And they think that if I keep the face square longer, it's going to go straighter, which is a misunderstanding. but. They, and, and then the pro says, oh, I know what your problem is. You're not releasing the club. And then they teach him to release it, which that's not the problem. The problem is you're not showing me your swing. Right. You're showing me how you guide a shot to the hole. Well, you know, that's how you play golf. And that's Joe, not much fun. Joe, this is a really important lesson and something I really wanted to touch on. So I'm glad you brought this up is, and I, you know, I fall into this too, just like everyone, that most golfers, uh, think that they got to get their physical game good, then they move on to the mental. But I think a lot of physical flaws start as mental, or actually mostly mental, to your point right there, right? It might be something physical in the swing, but it is our inability or fear to, uh, to, of the possible results to not let it go that is actually creating the physical. Yes, and then there's compensation on top of compensation. I'm so glad you mentioned that because I was going to say that earlier. Um, I get a lot of people who say, yeah, I want to I come and talk with you, but first I got to get my game together. And they think, well, once I get my physical game in good shape, then I can work on my mental game. It is so the other way around. If you understand the mental game and you understand what your mind is doing and how your mind runs your body, First of all, for even for beginners, 
they should start with that because then they will learn properly and not have to undo a lot of compensations. And for better players, they, if they understand that, then they can, as I said, feel the difference between freeing it up and being and being all all guidey. Now, this the understanding that part of the mental game is so big a part of that. I'll give you a really good example um, because you have to you have to understand both to really play your best. So, um, I'm I'm working with a uh, I'm I'm on the range and a friend of mine is in, instructing uh, as well. And he's giving this guy, he said, you got to get to your left side because the guy is hitting it fat and thin and falling backwards, right? And he puts the towel under his arm. He puts the wedge under his foot. He, he has him, you know, all sorts of things, you know, almost tin cuppy with all the gadgets mm -hmm. and everything like that. And the guy's getting to his left side and getting to his left side and getting to his left side. He said, great. Now, and then he puts the ball down. He says, go ahead and hit it. Whoop, falls back. And it, it, it happens 10 minutes, you know, of training, then still falls back 10 minutes. So I walked over and I said, do you mind if I ask you a question? said what i said you know ideally the the uh, the club comes up comes down again towards the ball goes past the ball and you know and up again okay it so there's a lowest point of that swing arc ideally where would that lowest point be in relation to the ball just behind it right under it or just in front of it and the guy said just behind it and I said, yeah, see, there's the problem. How can you get to your left side if you think that you have to get under the ball first and scoop it up in the air? Mm -hmm. right. So with that understanding, there is no way he's going through to his left side because the right answer is a little bit in front of the ball is, right. supposed to, is ideally the lowest point in that swing arc. And if you think it's this, I guarantee you're going to have a mix of fat and thin shots because either you're going to try to go underground and then get to the ball. One, one person said he thought those big divots that you see flying on the TV on the PGA Tour came from behind the ball. Mm. They'd hit that big divot and then they'd hit the ball. I went, wow, no wonder you're struggling. <laughs> yeah. So absolutely, you have to understand so many, so much of the mental thing. And, and then again, what about alignment? If you don't understand that you need to be parallel, you're going to be aligned wrong the whole time. And if you don't understand that what you were doing was not swinging the club, but trying to guide the ball towards the target, <clears throat> you'll never improve your swing. So Joe, help people understand, because I think there's a, a pretty fair amount of people that know their their least favorite, everyone knows the shot they hate the most, right? The shot they struggle with the most, whether it's a block right off the tee, whether it's a yippy wedge around a green with a tight lie over a bunker, whatever it is. Um, and to the example you just described of you're hitting it great in your practice swing and then you get a ball or in a moment that matters and you suddenly make the same mistake or you hold on. Um, mm -hmm. People know that, right? How do you help them break out of, because there's trauma there, right? There's past failures, there's embarrassment. Right. How do you break them out of that in the moment and swing a little bit and more free, knowing everything they've experienced in that situation in the past? Okay, well, I have a couple of things for you. One is um, some, some golfers, uh, maybe better than average golfers, know that because they have that pattern others have what the pros really fear and that's a two-way miss and others have the uh, beginning dart player that they're 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 all over the place they're, you know and they and there is no consistency first thing is again knowing the difference between guiding it towards the target and freeing it up but as far as that particularly fearful shot Here's what I do working with people. You know, I, I, I find an interesting thing um, that, that the universe moves in waves. 
and I get groups of students that don't know each other coming in with the same kind of problem for a period of time. There was a time when uh, it was maybe eight years ago, I had somebody who got stuck at the top, like Charles Barkley, you know, and the, couldn't get down. Then in six months, I had four students like that. Suddenly, a guy uh, can't take the putter back, three more. Wow. <laughs> it, in the next month, can't take. It's very interesting. The universe does move that way. But so, <laughs> so uh, just the other day, that, I had two students in one week. That was their problem. Okay, so um, it all, the, the biggest source of trouble in making a free, fully committed golf swing is worry about the results. Now, um, Christy Kerr came up with this great acronym. What are the first three letters of worry about results? War. War, W-A-R. Yeah, when I yourself, worry so. about results, I'm at war with myself. Mm -hmm. Isn't that great? Mm -hmm. Okay. So the, if you're worried about the outcome, and this is why even Ben Hogan froze over putts. Okay. And I'll explain that in a second. But if you're worried about the outcome, three kinds of interference will come into your swing. One, you don't trust that you're going to produce the shot that you want. So you will help it. If you don't trust it's going to draw, you'll roll it over. If you don't trust it's going to fade, you'll hold it off. If you don't trust it's going to go far enough, you'll swing out of your shoes. So you'll try to help it. The other one is uh, you try to prevent something. If you're worried about it going one place, you try to prevent that. And sometimes you combine by helping it go the other place. So, uh, and finally, you don't, you, it's both helping preventing you just are afraid of what's going to happen and you hold back or get real guidey sure. so there's either helping preventing or holding back one of those three ways of interfering with the swing but it's all based on worry about outcomes so i want people to take the hazards into account and as i said overlay your dispersion pattern and and make sure you've picked a club that's safe that you're not going to be worried about the outcome and that I call that pre-acceptance. You can handle however it's going to turn out. Then the interference of that outcome won't come, won't come in. Um, when you get to particular issues of fear, like the yips, okay, chipping, putting, um, or uh, afraid of shanking it or something, you know, all these terrible words we're not supposed to say. So don't listen out there. Don't listen to those words. We'll okay. bleep you out, Joe. Erase them. Bleep those out. The, eh, eh, eh. That's great. Yeah, bleep that out. So, uh, so um, if you think about it, this is how psychology works. We associate experiences with other experiences that happen in proximity and time. So the pain, and this is what happened to Ben Hogan, the pain of missing a four-foot putt. We, you know, look, you got four feet of grass, you got a, a hole in a, it, anybody should be able to do that, we think, okay? So to miss it is very, very painful to our ego. What happens a half a second before we miss that? Impact. So now we're afraid of impact because we've associated the fear of missing the hole with the fear of impact. What happens a half a second before impact? bringing the club, the putter towards the ball. So we associate bringing the, bringing the club towards the ball with that fear. And that's why um, that a little bit of that creeps into almost everybody's swing if they don't really trust it and aren't really committed, that as they're coming down, there's fear. And, and then, and, but in putting, and then what, what's the thing that happens right before you, you bring it down? You take it back. And there you are. And that's when you're going to initiate. And you know, if I take it back, I'll have to bring it down. If I bring it down, I'll have to hit it. If I hit it, I'll miss fear. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so we have to change what your job is. This is the most important thing. I ask people, what's your job in putting? And they say to put the ball in the hole. And then I say, well, am I allowed to pick it up and place it in the hole? No. Am I allowed to put the putter behind the ball and just shovel it along until it goes in the hole? 
no. I said, so wait a minute, you're making me really crazy here because you're saying my job is to put the ball in the hole, but I'm not allowed to put the ball in the hole. <laughs> oh, that is crazy making. Mm -hmm. What are you allowed to do? You're allowed to get it started rolling. That's your job. It's the ball's job to find the hole. Yeah. Now, if you do your job, and that's why my book is called you can see it there, how to make every putt. Yes, you can make every putt if you change the definition. My definition of making a putt is you love the way it left the putter. You yeah. left the sweet spot of the putter with a good roll on it. On the line you picked, you don't know if it's the right one, but the line you picked, you chose at the speed that you chose. And, and you liked the, the speed it was going. If you did those three things, the roll, the speed, and the line, you made your putt. Yeah. Then you see what happens. I'm most calm on the course. When I hit that, you know, a 15 footer that I thought was breaking a little left, but it ended up breaking a little right. Hit a great putt and just say, you know what? I hit a good putt. It's that shrug, hit a good putt, right? <laughs> now, here's the good thing. I'm, I made my putt, but the ball missed the hole. So right. then you get to learn about green reading. Because right. you look around and you go, huh, okay, I made the, you're not upset because you know you rolled a good putt. You go, huh. What did I miss? What did I? Oh, oh, yeah. There's a little creek down there. The whole green is tilted that way. I didn't, I didn't see that. I'm gonna look a little more carefully next time. Uh, or hey, I saw a break that wasn't there. I gotta trust. Maybe I'll stand with my feet a little bit and really feel it. Sure. You know, I'm gonna get better at green reading. But if you didn't make the putt, if you mishit it or didn't start quite on your line or quite at your speed you can't learn anything from it. Well, that gets me into what uh, this idea. I want to talk through with you being committed, you know, to the right shot, but also being committed to the, your routine, right? You talk a lot about Christy Kerr, right? And her great success as a major winner. Uh, on Sunday night, she thinks about, you know, after each round, how many shots did I commit to today versus I didn't commit to today. Right? That's correct. And that's, that's an, as, as opposed to like, what's wrong with my putting? What's wrong with my chipping? What's wrong with my full swing, but I have found growing up playing and playing in college and just playing this last week for the first 10 holes, I, I maybe missed one shot. I was in the zone. Mm -hmm. Then on a layup on a par five with water right and out of bounds left, I didn't really think about what the wind was doing. In my layup, I had to hit a three iron, got a little high in the wind, and it just, I just hit a solid shot, but I watched that ball just veer off to the right and go into the water. There's nothing worse than hitting a layup into the water. <laughs> well, there is, you know, the <laughs> earthquakes, floods, tsunamis. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot worse than hitting a layup. Thanks, thanks for making Sorry. me feel, feel Let's good. Let's put things in perspective, okay? But it was, but it was the three iron, right? But to me, Doctor Todd, that was a failure of my routine. I can, you know, yes, it, that's that was right. a, my checkpoints, right? Okay, so yeah. you know, now it, want, it was a failure if. You really didn't, you, you didn't check the wind. I didn't, I didn't take into, a, I didn't realize how strong it was, right? You can oh, well, well now, now, that's not a failure if you, where you were standing, you couldn't feel it. But up above, it was blowing hard. Right. Uh, it's like number 12 at the Masters. Um, you make your best guess. Right. for the feel of the wind and you know uh, i was working with vj vj singh and um and he hit a shot a beautiful drive and then the wind gusted sure. and pushed it into the rough and he said oh i pulled it i said you didn't pull it you hit a great shot sure <laughs> I, I but i understand what you're saying matt yes if you forgot then you go okay i know i hit a good shot you don't criticize your swing but you say okay I didn't do as good a job as I could on my routine. I'm going to check the boxes off next time better. I'm right. going to include the wind and I'm going to learn from that. Okay. Definitely. Yeah, I'm disappointed, <clears throat> but I'm not going to say, oh, I hooked it into the into the lake. I hit a good shot. <clears throat> I just didn't I didn't take the wind into account and I need to do a better job of checking off the boxes in my mental routine. You talk about dispersion, right? And that's a that's so that's a big buzzword these days. Because I've got out of bounds left, I've got water right. What are you I've doing? Got, hit the three iron. 
Well, uh, what are you doing hitting a three iron is my question. It's a 550 yard hole and you got water off the tee. It's 240. (laughs) So I had to hit a hybrid off the tee. And then I got to hit a 400 or 300 to get to 110 yards for that layup. Why do you have to get to 110? Well, this is where we're talking. What if you got to 140? Right. Well, that would be right. so horrible. Right. And you Mr. could say seven iron instead of a three iron. Exactly. Oh. Right. I made it, I made that shot even more challenging. Yes. And if I wouldn't, I should have hit hit maybe an extra club and just hit it lower to just keep that dispersion rate. In. Or a shorter club and leave yourself a little longer into the green. So what? Right. You know, so Jack, I, Jack Nicholas uh, said, I'd rather lay back and have a safe landing area that's level and have a five iron into the green then have a downhill nine iron into an uphill right green you know so well, i'll let i'll let evan jump in here but doc like for me talking to him <clears throat> i was still obsessed with i gotta make birdie on this part five even though i'm having to do it the hard way because of what the whole calls for instead of just being like you know what it's a tough hole doesn't get a lot of birdies just <laughs> the green and regulation and make it well, easier. Matt, I'm going to share something very special with you. Uh, I have two things because, because there was a lot in there. So let's yeah. unpack it. first, let's talk about commitment. And yes, Christy and I worked a, so much on that, that we we had a pretty much of a formula. If she found, if she was fully committed on 80% of her shots, she'd be in contention. Fully committed on 90%, she wins when she won the lpga championship by a record 12 strokes she shot 19 under par second place was seven under and the girl in second was i don't know what of course she was playing but i got everything out of my game to shoot seven under and we figured out in four rounds of golf there were only six shots that she hit without full commitment 98 percent full commitment that's when you set records Okay, wow. now, now let's go to your game plan. I need to make birdie. Mm-hmm. Okay. Here's a formula that I will give you. Okay. Give yourself the best chance for birdie without taking an unnecessary risk. Right. You hitting a three iron with the out of bounds and the, the water was an unnecessary risk. Best chance for birdie would have been to lay back to 150 yards with a club that wasn't going to reach the out of bounds or the water with your dispersion pattern. Right. And then, and no matter, even if it's blown by the wind, and then you throw it into the green with plenty of room to play. And that's going to give you your best chance for birdie without taking an unnecessary risk. Yeah. So hitting a, hitting a knockdown, a knockdown five iron. Something sure. real simple as opposed to trying to rip it and get as close as I think I need to get it close, right? And then I of course <laughs> your ideal yardage is 110, but that's a formula that you imposed on the situation that wasn't realistic. Right. So uh, right, 110 is your ideal yardage. Yeah. Yeah, I got that from <laughs> gotta get it to 110. I yeah. gotta get it to my yeah. No, you don't. You don't. So uh the the game plan that i just gave you works no matter whether you on the last hole you got an eagle uh or a triple bogey it works whether the hole you're playing is really hard or really easy it works whether the next hole you're going to play is really hard or easy it works whether you're over par under par it works whether you're having a really high scoring round or low scoring round on the 14th hole it's the same game plan as the third hole, the first hole, every hole, give myself the best chance for birdie without taking an unnecessary risk. And if I hit it in trouble, give myself the best chance to save par without taking an unnecessary risk. Now, what usually people do is they change their game plan. Round 12, 13, 14, if they got a good round going, you know, they say, uh, what do, I said, what do you want to do on the next hole? They said, I just want to par in and not give any back. Well, now you've changed your game plan. Now you're trying to not make mistakes rather than, do you know, do you know uh, when Jordan Spieth, uh, uh, Danny Willett won the Masters, Jordan Spieth had a five-shot lead going in after the ninth hole. Do you, know when, do you know what made him lose the Masters? 
it wasn't taking a triple on the 12th hole. It was walking off the ninth hole and telling his caddy, and he was, I, I love Jordan. He was right. generous in sharing his mental approach. He said, what, what, he said, if we just par in from here, we've got this one. Made tentative swings on 10, 11, you know, and then right. that, that's what cost him. If Instead of he said, okay, we got a five shot lead. Let's see if we can make it six without taking an unnecessary risk. And he would have kept the same attitude, same game plan, might've won the masters by 10. <laughs> okay, so, so that's your game plan. You don't change it. And I, I came up with this game plan and it's pretty foolproof. It doesn't say eagle, by the way. <laughs> Give yourself the best chance for birdie without taking an unnecessary risk. For low hand now, for higher handicaps, give yourself the best chance for net birdie without taking an unnecessary risk. Yeah. That's it. Use your use your strokes. Yeah. Change the par on the scorecard. 72 is not your par if you're an 18 handicap. There are no par threes on the course if you're an 18 handicap. There are poor par fours, par fives, and par sixes. Change the card. Yeah. You'll have a much better time. Yeah, and then, Joe, this... and, and then if you shoot 88, you get to come in and say, hey, they say, what do you shoot? He said, two under. <laughs> and you feel good. Nice. <laughs> Joe, this makes me think about an episode we did uh, a month or two ago where um, I found that the best golf that I play and we hear from listeners is playing with the mentality of give yourself the best chance, Right. And something you talked about, you talked about with putting, put it on the best line, make the best stroke, put in the best spots that have the lowest amount of risk, high amount of, of consistency. Um, there's comfort, there's more con commitment there. But also, you know, it's interesting in other sports, Joe, they do that all the time, right? You're down 10 in NFL and you're in the red zone and there's under two minutes left and it's fourth down. You're going to kick a field goal first and take your medicine, right? And then you're going to try and get an onside kick and try and get the ball back and see if you can get it. Baseball, you bunt a guy over, you take an out, you intentionally walk people, right? This is stuff that in sports, with team sports, a lot of times, you are putting yourself in the best chance to win with the situation you're in. And in golf, that people don't do that. Most people in golf are berating themselves for being in that situation rather than thinking about, okay, I'm in this. This is the reality. How do I give myself the best chance to succeed? And if you play around a golf like that, mm -hmm. I think inherently there's going to be less fear. There's going to be more commitment. Uh, I agree completely. And that's why, you know, the one thing in team sports, when we talk about a prevent defense in football, mm. the thing is a prevent defense is what prevents winning. Yeah, you know, uh, there was a Super Bowl like that, I think. And I just I don't want to talk about the poor team that played prevent defense the whole second half of the New England Patriots won another Super Bowl. So, um, you know, really, that's the as soon as you do that, you now you start being careful and try not to make mistakes and you get on your heels. So whether it's a team sport um, and you have a big lead and you're just trying to protect your lead rather than keeping doing what you're doing, that's important. Then on the other side, if you hit it in trouble, I, uh, for if you hit in trouble, I have a principle called out on close. You do it in that order. Your first priority is get out of trouble. People are trying to you know, hit it through an opening this big so they can get on the green and uh, and, that's not realistic. First, get out. If you sh are sure you can get out, then think about getting on either the fairway or the green. If you know you can get out and get on, then only then do you start thinking about getting it close. Mm -hmm. You have to take care of out first and then on. And, and, and Doc, when, when Christy Kerr shot 19 under and dominated the field like that, you know, her, her checkpoints in her routine, you know, never changed no. i watched i watched her come down the 18th fairway with an 11 shot lead and not one instant not one step 
not one bit of her focus or her routine changed. Going up to that approach shot, she hit it, then her putt, not one instant of that routine changed. And she rolled in the birdie and, and uh, set the record. And that was the day she also moved to number one in the world. And so Doc, it day. it's amazing for our listeners out there, you know, aspiring golfers are looking to get better. What can they, what's a takeaway for them to, to really help that consistency in their routine? Clearly their routine's not as strong as Christy Kerr's, but what, what you, creates that progress? Well, you know, I teach a particular uh, type of routine, but everybody's individual, but you, you know, <clears throat> um, as you go through your steps, you go through your steps, but here's, we come back to the anyways. If you don't feel fully committed over the shot, um, to you, Evan, to use a baseball meta metaphor, step out of the batter's box. Mm -hmm. If you're over the ball too long and you're still thinking about, you're still having a conversation with yourself, the pit, you're the pitcher and the batter. <laughs> if yeah. the pitcher up here is taking too long, the batter's got to step out of the batter's box. Yeah, right. And and so so be aware of the steps in your routine. Make them as consistent. You know, you can look in Zen golf and Zen putting and see what I recommend for what I call the swing routine, not even pre-shot, because your swing doesn't start as you take the club back. It's the whole flow through uh, preparing and addressing the ball and then going into, into your swing. So, <clears throat> so doing that and then reflecting on it afterwards. That's the post-shot routine, reflecting on it afterwards. And the real key is planning shots, as we just talked about, Matt, that you can make a full commitment to. Yeah. You, you know, uh, what's that line in the A Few Good Men? You can't handle the truth. If you can't handle the <laughs> result, if you can't handle the result, make a different plan. Right. And, and being aggressive and being assertive looks different on every shot, right? Some of it might be going over the bunker. Some of it might be hitting it to this wide area in front of the green, right? Well, you want, you want to make it, you want to pick a shot that you feel most comfortable playing. And then you can make, I don't like to call it aggressive. I like, like to call it a committed pass at the ball. Sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Good. I know we're at time. I know we're at time, Joe. I just wanted to end on a quote that to me feels like, if, if nobody gets anything, I mean, there's so many good nuggets here and we're so happy to have you on the show. But to me, this statement really is a great reminder for any golfer of any level, not even in golf, just in life. And so I want to end on this and then we'll tell people where to find you um, if they want more information. Uh, the quote is, anxiety is trying to control something you can't control. Change your desired outcome to something you can control. And to me, that is just, I mean, if you do that, I mean, that, that'll change your life. I've lived it, you know, and I just want to, I just want to encourage everyone to get your book, Zen golf, um, Zen putting, how to make every putt, whichever one speaks to them the most personally, Zen golf put me on my path. So I want to thank you for that again. Yeah, that's go to, the main one. They should start with that. Yeah, for sure. And go to drjoeparent.com. Um, anywhere else you want to send people? I, I have a YouTube channel, oh, again, awesome. Dr. Dr. Joe Parent YouTube channel that you can see a lot of my videos, both on golf and on mindfulness and, uh, <clears throat> and some family stuff for a walk <laughs> in the wood. But, you know, for, for your particular audience, I want to share, uh, and something that I've said many times that I think will help. And that is people think that if only they played better, they'd enjoy the game more. It actually works the other way around. If you enjoyed the game more, you'd play better. So give yourself yeah. a break, lower your standards, uh, and enjoy yourself on the golf course because, um, you know, a good day on the golf course beats uh, a, a bad day on the golf course. I'm sorry, a bad day on the golf course beats a good day a lot of other places. Yeah. So uh, appreciate the opportunity that you have to be out there and find something good in it rather than always looking for what's going wrong. And, and, and you'll have a much, much better time. So uh, yes, the website is Dr. Joe Parent, no punctuation.com. Yep. 
and and uh, um, I'm more than happy to help anybody to uh, become less frustrated, more consistent, and have lower scores. Love it. This, well, this is great. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thank you, Joe. And for all those people that scoff at positivity and all these things, maybe take a second and ask yourself how you feel with all the negativity. Wouldn't it be so much easier if you just enjoyed yourself a little bit more versus being so hard on yourself? I mean, we only have one go at this thing. Um, so I love how you ended because that's how we end every show is enjoy the ride. And, and so, yeah, this was great. Thank you so much, Joe. My pleasure. Let's do it again. Absolutely. Sure.